everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher, or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer, or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I am so happy you are here. Today, we're going to talk about something that is like the kind of a root, the basis of a lot of research that I have been doing research is the wrong word, like diving in that I have been doing. I have spent so much time thinking and reading and talking and learning about reading. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the science of reading. And really the purpose of today's podcast is just to take you through an exploration in what I have learned in reading most recently. And the reason that we're going to talk about reading right now is because I've got some exciting news. So this episode is going live to our club people, the people in our monthly membership on Tuesday, May the 9th, and it is going live to the rest of the podcast audience on Tuesday, May 16th. And do you know what happened on May 15th, friends? The opening of the Ashley Barlow Company Tutoring and Coaching Center. I am so excited about this. So at the Tutoring and Coaching Center, we are going to be teaching tutoring and coaching students and caregivers in the following areas, academics, reading, math, science, and social studies, academics, also executive functioning, behavior, and kind of general wellness, emotional regulation, social emotional stuff, that kind of thing. And then in addition to that, all of our tutors and coaches are trained by me in special education advocacy. And the real exciting thing about this is that my tutors and coaches are going to work with you and they are going to get to know you specifically. They are going to get to know how these programs work with you, how instruction works with you, what your regulation is like, what your um, what behavior strategies look like, what motivational tips could really help you learn. And then because they are trained special education advocates, they are going to be able to come into your school if you so need them or choose to have them come into your school meetings, into your IEP meetings, into meetings with your teachers in order to help skills generalize and to help teachers beat the curve and getting to know particular students. Oh, the dog's starting to growl. So I am super excited about the Tutoring Center. If you want to know more, hop over to our website, ashleybarlowco.com, and you can click on the link for the, tu- for the Tutoring and Coaching Center. And ultimately, that will probably lead you to a conversation with me because I'm going to do the intake at least for the summer of 2023. So if you're interested in tutoring and coaching, go check us out, ashleybarlowcompany.com. Company is co.com. Okay, so that's the exciting news. Why are we talking about the science of reading? The big question to this, is it for me? Now, 
I have a bigger presentation. I did a free webinar on this back on like May 9th, plus or minus. And the reason why uh, I did that webinar is because I think so many people are so confused about reading. I think on the podcast, if not on the podcast, then definitely on social media. I've talked about this most really popular podcast called Sold a Story. And Sold a Story, an author that had just spent a lot of time researching reading and how reading was taught, exposed a lot about the politics and the money and the power behind reading instruction in America. And it is wildly popular. I love that podcast, Sold a Story. But in the last little bit, I have had so many people say, I had no idea. I had no idea my kids were doing balanced literacy. I had no idea that my kids weren't actually being taught to read. I had no idea that the program that my school chose was not, in fact, multi-sensory or was not being implemented explicitly or with any kind of systematic instruction, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what's happened to me in the recent past. The bigger trend that I started to notice and the reason why I was really like, oh, I got to know about reading is because I was seeing that two things were getting in the way of students being educated inclusively. The first one was behavior in no particular order. The first one was behavior. I think that schools by and large are having a hard time supporting children behaviorally and therefore are um, excluding them, putting them in more restrictive settings because they can't, they don't have the skills and the strategy and the knowledge to support them behaviorally. And then the other way that's happening is reading. And reading is a chicken and egg thing as it applies to inclusion. I'm always like, who stopped teaching them how to read? Who stopped? Like, did you not start with your tier one intervention with your whole group intervention? Is that reading instruction not effective? Was it ineffective since day one of kindergarten? Or eventually, and this is what I see, like sometimes you almost wish that it was that. Because sometimes what I see is that students are not getting instructed in reading because the school has deliberately decided that they can't read and that they aren't going to be able to read. And so they switch over not even to balance literacy to, to what they call functional literacy, functional reading programs. The most popular one that I see here in Kentucky in my law practice is called Edmark. Edmark teaches kids like words and words that they're going to see a lot in the community, like men's restroom and what a stop sign is and the popular like vocab word horse, because you're going to see the word I always tease. Oh, horse, that's the other example that you use. And we're in Kentucky. Ah. But like, to me, it's chicken and egg. Did you stop teaching them how to read? And therefore, they can't read, they can't catch, they can't keep up. And they, in your mind's eye, can't participate in the gen ed curriculum or did they not like really struggle with reading and so you were like let's go to a more secluded setting in order to work on reading and now we still aren't making progress with reading etc so to me what would happen in my career as a special education attorney now you're like but you're a teacher yes I was a teacher I haven't been in a k-12 classroom and 20 years as a teacher. And I was never taught how to teach reading because I was a German teacher. 
I know enough about reading. I used to know enough about reading to be dangerous. But what's ha what was happening to me is this issue would come up a lot. Whether I had a student with a real reading disability like dyslexia or I had a student with a cognitive impairment, an intellectual disability and or a developmental disability and reading was coming up as either a pathway to regulation or a pathway to inclusion or somehow tied to some other component of this child's comprehensive IEP. And I felt like I knew enough, like I had a general gist of what was going on, but I never really felt like I could answer things at the table. And so what would happen is I would go home and I would put time on my calendar to research the reading program that this school was using and to dive into it and to do so in a way that I could then answer the questions, but I felt like it was taking me like two hours every time. So what I decided was I need to get trained. I know that Orton-Gillingham works. I know the research behind Orton-Gillingham. I've read enough about this and I want to get trained in Orton-Gillingham reading instruction. And so I did. I went to the Institute of Multisensory Learning, multisensory, I'm starting over, the Institute of Multisensory Education, MZ. I went to their 30-hour Orton-Gillingham training. I will tell you, I'm not sponsored by them. I'll tell you that. And I will also tell you that it was incredible. 100% amazing. 155,000% amazing. And even though I have been to law school, even though I have studied for the bar exam, I seriously don't know if I have had a week that was that intensive in reading in my entire life. Holy cow, was it ever intensive. It was so incredible. And as a result, I feel like I know a lot more about reading. So that's the good news. That kind of is like the preface for what the heck is the science of reading? What have I learned about the science of reading? I want to give it to you in a nutshell. So the science of reading is basically a body of research, right? Like when we think about science, here's the cool thing is that reading is science. Boom cool. Like reading is science. By the way, I have to tell you that my episode on multisensory learning with Hannah from my literacy space is doing extraordinarily well. And even in, in my monthly membership, the club, we were talking about podcast episodes in our last monthly meetup. And they were saying, everybody was saying how much they enjoyed Hannah's episode. So I know that this is a popular topic. And I'm like, gosh, I should have probably given like a this podcast right here before we published Hannah's. That's this is the science of reading. But here's the cool thing is there's been a lot of research on reading and on how struggling readers read and how dyslexics read. And what we know is that reading is a neurological process. And just like we can study other neurological processes, we can study reading. And we've done a lot of things in reading. One of the coolest things to me about reading is that they started studying people and the way that they read by doing functional MRIs. So they literally would attach a bunch of electrodes to their brains and then they would stick them in an MRI tube. Now, first of all, they had to figure out that it was neurological, that it was something that you did in your brain. And, and I think we talked about this in Hannah's episode, reading is not innate. We are not wired to read, we are wired to speak. But if you think about it, reading language, written language, 
is something that man created. That's a man-made thing. And so we've got to rewire all of our brains in order to be able to read. And the research shows that 70% of people are able to do that innately. However, with explicit instruction, even that 70% of people will become better readers. And I didn't have any trouble picking up reading. I did because I'm legally blind. Once my mom figured out that I couldn't see, then I didn't have any trouble picking up reading. However, I was taught explicitly in areas of reading, like reading comprehension strategies and phonics and syllabication, like breaking words into syllables. And doing that made me a better reader. That's what the research shows. So the science of reading is a field. It is a process wherein we research how we read and we research how we acquire language, how we acquire the skills that we need to read, how we process language, and then also how we comprehend language. So the science of reading focuses on these cognitive processes, which I think is super cool that we figured out that it's a neurological process. And then, you know, how all the different areas of the brain and the body take in reading. So we have learned how people that don't struggle with reading read. We have learned how people that struggle with reading read. And we've learned how to help struggling readers. So that's basically what the science of reading is. There are lots of different components to the science of reading. What, what the science of reading says needs to be involved in order to make a, an effective reading program, right? You can look at all the visuals. There's Scarborough's rope and there's the ladder of reading and there's all these things. There's a modern view of reading, which I really like because it involves cultural influences and self-regulation and motivation and those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, when you're, teach, when you're teaching reading, what concepts do you need to include? And the first one is phonological awareness. So phonological awareness is your ability to, I always say, play with language. Sounds are phonemes. So your ability to rhyme, um, to identify syllables, to identify words, and then to play with language. So this is phonemic awareness, playing with language. If you have the word bat, then you can change it to cat. And if you have cat, then you can change it to cap. And if you have cat, a cap, you can change it to cup. So that is your phonemic awareness. Then the second component is phonics. So phonics is like the, the big debate here. Do we need to learn phonics? Phonics is the instructional approach that says that there is one phoneme for a sound and not one phoneme, but there are several phonemes and there are different ways to write those with letters, which we call graphemes. So it's the relationship between the phonemes, the sounds, and the graphemes, the letters that represent them in the written language. And it's really not that hard. Like when we do our, there is a phoneme grapheme chart that just shows how we say different phonemes. I would say to a student that was in an Orton-Gillingham training session, Maybe the sound is long A. So long A has eight different ways to say it. And so eventually, once students have gotten so far, you can say eight different ways how to spell this sound. The sound is A. 
And those students, believe it or not, will be able to say A spells A. A magic E spells A. Make with that silent E at the end. AI spells A. Plate, like a fold. AY spells A, like in play. E-I-G-H says A. E-I says A. E-A says A. And E-Y says A. And they will know that all of those are the different ways to say A. And because Orton-Gillingham involves so much repetition, is so systematic, and also involves opportunities for repeated practice, they pick up on this very quickly. The, that is phonics. Then we talk about fluency. Fluency basically is speed and accuracy. It also includes expression. Can we go up at the end of a question mark? Or can we get excited when we come to an exclamation point? Those kinds of things. But really, it's just how quickly and how accurately are you reading. Another thing that we need to be able to teach. With fluency, we get that automaticity where we are really reading fluently. Like it's just coming and we're starting to recognize words because we've seen them before. Vocabulary has to be taught. We have to understand the meanings of words and how they are like even like the history of the words, the etymology of the words. We'll look at prefixes and suffixes and we'll look at different word parts and then we'll talk about how those build into the meaning of the word. We talk about semantics, which is the how the words and the phrases all fit together into language as a whole. So semantics is really more about meaning, right? Like you say, it's just semantics, mom. The way that you say something one way and another way really do matter in the language. And then, of course, we talked about self-regulation. So in the science of reading, it is very important that we address those particular concepts. Now, the way that they are addressed is they are addressed explicitly. They are taught very specifically, and they are taught in a multi-sensory way. So we have to look at that multi-sensory way. Let's talk for just a second before we sign off here on what multi-sensory is. When we're talking about multi-sensory instruction, we are talking about saying it, we are talking about writing it, and we are talking about listening to it. In multi-sensory programs that are taught explicitly, language or lessons are taught the same way every single time. Does it get boring? Absolutely not. Of course, you can build on extension activities. Teachers are very skilled at making engaging lessons. And what is so exciting about reading is when kids can read, it's, aha, eureka, this is awesome. So it doesn't involve, it doesn't feel like busy work because they're like literally cracking the code to language, which is pretty exciting. That opens so many opportunities for them. So this coming month and in the coming month, <coughs> excuse me, we are going to continue to talk about the way that we teach reading. I want for you to really understand, and I hope that as you're listening to this, you're like, I want to know how reading is taught. Like, I want to know if my kid's school is doing Orton Gillingham correctly or whatever the program is correctly. I want to know if my program even is correct at my school or is effective. So we're going to be talking about those things so that you can really pull the wool off of your eyes and get a better glimpse into what's happening at your 
child school or your student's school. That's a little bit of a, let's call it a teaser into a science of reading. And we will continue with this as the summer progresses. Here is my little cheerleader moment for you. May is just hilariously horrendous. Our podcast numbers last week, I think it'll take me too long to pull them up, but I was looking at them earlier today. And whereas April was like a banner month for us, in April, we have 68,000 downloads, by the way. If I get to 112,000 downloads, which is seems very feasible right now, we will be in the top 10% of listened podcasts in the world, which is so crazy to me. But in March, we had 4,400 downloads. In April, we had 3,100 downloads. Oh, yeah, in April, we had 3,100. And we're one week into May, and we only have 504 downloads. (laughs) You guys are busy. You are tired. That's why I'm keeping this short. So my cheer for you is don't forget to get out and do something for yourself. So go take a walk, go get yourself a bowl of ice cream, go do something for yourself. It will make you more productive and it will make you more present because heavens knows we need it. Happy May. Happy reading. I will see you next week. Same time, same place.